And welcome back to another preview show on Code with Kingy, where we are casting our eye to the fourth round of Super Rugby Aotearoa, and helping me break it all down is the bro Nick Hegarty. Now, this week we have the Southern Derby between the Highlanders and Crusaders at Forsyth Bar on Saturday night, before the Hurricanes make the trip up State Highway 1 to Hamilton to take on the Chiefs at Waikato Stadium. Uh, I know this episode is a lot longer than some of the other preview shows that I have done, and I don't really have an explanation for it other than the fact that I seem to enjoy Nick's company, and yeah, we just kept waffling on, and other than some of the talking points that we thought were relevant for this week's games, uh, there were also a couple of other topics that we brought up in light of some of the news that's come out this week, and just some of our, I guess, personal thoughts on the way rugby is being run at this moment uh, by the union so yeah I don't want to give anything away because I want you guys to listen to the entirety of this episode and again I know it's an hour and a half but I can promise you that I enjoyed it so I think you guys will enjoy it and yeah no more waffling here let's go straight to the episode because it's long enough as it is well uh well thank you very much Nick for for jumping on to this week's episode of COVID King where we're going to be previewing and recapping, I guess on Sunday, this fourth round of Super Rugby Aotearoa, bro. As you would have seen, I've been looking to get different guests on each week just to get some different insight and different perspectives. And so I thought I'd just say thank you first up for accepting my invitation. Yeah, bro. Good to be here. I've been uh, tuning in over the last, well, since you started it. So uh, some some interesting interesting blokes you've had on there. I know a few of them. And uh, yeah, no, some, some good stories, actually. I go for a look. Especially in lockdown, I'd go for a wee walk and listen to your podcast. They're bloody good. Oh, I appreciate it, bro. I'm, I'm trying. I'm definitely putting the feelers out, and I guess I was just fortunate that some of the boys had nothing better to do. So, yeah, and yeah, obviously I've just sort of looked to build off that and into where we are now, man. But uh, before we jump into this weekend's games, I thought I'd just get your, I guess, perspective on some of the changes that have taken place over Super Rugby Aotearoa, and even just looking back at a few of the the previous rounds before we sort of dive into the I guess some of the talking points that we've seen so I mean the big one that's been brought up over the last couple of weeks and it sort of eased off on the weekend was the interpretations at the breakdown and uh, so over the over the last three weeks obviously we had the first round where the refs sort of went crazy with the whistle we had 58 penalties the second week we had 49 and then this previous round round three we had 33 so and I don't know about you but I thought that the games actually did appear to flow a lot better well especially that Saturday game because the conditions were sort of made for running rugby and there weren't as many disruptions as we'd seen so do you have any sort of things that you want to add into that yeah bro. it was uh it was an interesting um start to the rugby because obviously um a lot of the referees especially because i'm involved with club rugby so they kind of take their pick off like they watch super rugby and then they'll ref like that so it was really interesting seeing that first week and there was so many penalties and then you'd see it in actual um, live action when you go and play in rugby on a Saturday or whatever, and you're getting penalised off the park. And then it's been kind of, <laughs> it's changed over the course of, what, three or four weeks. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think it's changed for the better because we don't want to have, six, have 60 penalties, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Well, you, you played on Saturday, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was, I think, like like all the referees, is sort of, 
trying to find that happy balance between, I guess, making sure that they're, they're pinging guys so that there's less of a gray area around the breakdown, but making sure that they don't bear too much of an influence on the game. Because if you're blowing up every second ruck because, you know, someone hasn't quite come in through the gate or someone's, you know, just put their hands on the ground before they've gone in for the pilfer, it can ruin a game. And I think that's what people were sort of getting up in arms with in that first week. So it's been a bit of a learning yeah. process. But I think for me, like especially going into this weekend, I'll be interested to see interested to see what happens just because that second round, I know that there were a lot of complaints from the players because it was as if the referees had sort of flipped the script between the two weeks because there'd been all these complaints. And so when they rolled into the next weekend as a playing group or as a coaching group, they're like, okay, yep, we know what's going to happen now. And because they were maybe a little less strict, you know, the players were sort of like, well, you know, which way are you going to go the next week? Because, you know, like you started off with a hiss and a roar and now you've sort of taken a backward step and they took a bit more of a backward step, which, like you said, was probably a good thing because the less whistle in the game the, and the more the time that the ball's in play, I guess it makes for a better spectacle. But, yeah, I think mm. maybe this week will be the, the teller of whether or not they've, they've found that balance. Yeah. yeah, definitely, bro. The worst is, like, you don't you don't want a uh, refereeing call that determines games, uh, especially, like, if it's, you know, a couple minutes to go or that. So, you know, touch wood, we haven't had too many of them, but... Um, obviously, a lot of general penalties um, in those first few weeks, but yeah, not not too bad over the weekend. Yeah, and I think the teams have sort of taken on themselves as well to be a little bit more disciplined. I mean, we saw the first week everyone struggle with it, and then even the second week, even though the Crusaders had the week to look at all the tapes from all the other teams and possibly learn off their mistakes, they were probably the worst, I guess, in terms in terms of like an of an initiation sense, you know, I thought going into that game, you know, they'd know how to do it because they're the Crusaders and they're typically the smartest team in the comp. But if anything, even though they did win their game against the Hurricanes away from home, they almost let the Hurricanes back into the game with how many penalties they were given away. So I think, yeah, yeah I think as well as the referees, obviously, like getting a good understanding of which way we want to go with the games from their perspective, I think the players have also taken the onus on themselves to maybe not cross that line or sneak over it mm. as often. So, yeah. yeah. There yeah. was one one call that I thought was pretty harsh was in that Chiefs game. Did you, could you? And, uh, uh, yeah, when he didn't penalise him and then he was talking to him and then they throw the quick line out and score, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty harsh, I thought. Yeah. I, the, again, like, because that's, I guess, the, the confusion around maybe the players and the coaches with these referees is because... Like, like we just reiterated, in the first week, they were pretty much pinging everything. And then because then you get an example like that, where it's almost like clear as day that Jack's put himself in a compromised position. And even though he's you know, obviously making the effort to try and roll away, he's made that play and he's been, you know, he's been caught out to not being able to, I guess, roll away effectively. And I think that you do need to give away a penalty there. But again, like, I mean, like our parents say it to us, and I remember being, you know, coached as maybe like an under six, you know, you played at a whistle. And, the whistle, and yeah. Brad Webber, you know, even though he was talking to the ref, he still had the opportunity to make the tackle on Will Jordan, but he missed it. Um, mm. But yeah, I can see it from both sides. I know that Warren Gatlin was pretty upset after the game because I guess his captain was, what? oh no, actually it wasn't the captain. Sam Kane was the captain, but I guess Brad probably sort of sees himself as a captain considering how many weeks Sam had off. So yeah, I mean, great, great yeah. heads up play by Severo and, and Will Jordan, but yeah, at the same time, it's... Yeah. yeah, you yeah. play the whistle yeah. ultimately, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the Crusaders—they're just 
you know, they're always going to score tries like that. They'll get, even if you're, uh, you know, in a battle and it's pretty close, they'll, they'll find a way to score. Yeah, they're the best at taking yeah. their opportunities. And, and before, uh, one more point before mm-hmm. we jump into um, the first up game, the, the Highlanders Crusaders game on Saturday. Did you have anything to say about the, the jersey sort of, I guess, catastrophe that happened on Saturday night? With yeah, both it was just teams a bit weird, away, wasn't it? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't really know like, why you would, uh, well, especially the Blues, like, just, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're selling it off for charity or something, I don't know. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just, I just found it funny. I mean, I read a couple of articles on Monday, sort of trying to get a debrief about it, and, and it's the funny thing, especially with those unions. And we'll we'll get to a later topic. Is that, you know, there there does doesn't seem to be any transparency. Like no one sort of comes out and sticks their hand up and says that they've screwed up. And that's the thing I don't know. Like how when you get to that level, and especially from the Blues' perspective, why they wear their away jersey. But because we had, that. I reckon it's a it'd be a um, a selling it for charity or something like that. Has to be. Okay. Yeah, because if they don't wear it, then they can't make as much money, probably. True. Yeah. Maybe something All right. like that. All right, man. Um, well, we won't beat around the bush. So, Highlanders Crusaders on Saturday. Uh, and one of the first points I want to bring up is that, again, I was sort of caught off guard by how well the Highlanders played. Both me and Casey picked the Blues last week to give them a bit of a drumming. And, and in fairness, I, I thought it was going to go that way after Caleb Clark made his break and set up Rico Iwani for that try sort of push them out mm. to a, a double-digit lead, but the Highlanders, and especially in their forward pack, who I'd, again, bagged at the start of the season because I just didn't think they had the experience or the physicality, they really fronted up, and they were actually quite accurate. I remember me and you mentioned, I guess, some in our notes that Scott Gregory, the, the young fullback, had a had a bit of a shocker in his debut, and like if you actually look at those tries that were scored by the Blues... I think three out of four of them you could probably pin on Gregory. And, yeah, I, I, again, I don't want to be that guy to, to point the finger, but he had the missed kick, which led to the Iwani try. He had the charge down, which led to one of Papaliti's tries. And then he also had the knock-on. So, I and I'm only sort of saying it that way, in, in that the the Highlanders as a whole actually performed pretty well, despite, despite sort of one outlier. And so I think as a, as a playing group, you can probably take a lot of confidence out of that and... But then on the other hand, I guess Scott probably isn't going to get anywhere near that 23 for a while with some of the other players that they have waiting in the wings. So, yeah, I mean, what what did you take out of the Highlanders game, especially, I guess, being parked up in the South? Were you watching it with some of your boys that support them? Yeah, bro, I was actually uh, watching it with a fellow Highlander at the time. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so he's, uh, his name's Conan O'Donnell. He's been, uh, he's, he actually plays for counties. He's an Irish fellow, and he's been uh, in and out of the Highlanders. But um, he's like a wider training member. But um, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting to, to watch it with him. But um, yeah, I think uh, Aaron Smith kind of summed up all the Highlanders uh, how they how they were thinking about Scott Gregory. I seen one time when uh, they Gregory uh, stuffed up or whatever, and he put his hands in his head uh, in his hands. So. I think that's why a lot of Highlanders uh, supporters were probably doing on Saturday night when a few times with Gregory stuffed up. But um, yeah, you know, it, it is tough because it's, it, it's, you know, that's that level, isn't it? So it's yeah. his first crack and probably pretty tough to put him at fullback for his first crack. You know, usually you'd, you know, uh, put him on the wing or something like that and just ease him into it 20 minutes off the bench to start or something like that. And they've done it both now with uh, Vili. 
Karoy and now Gregory, which um, I think they've just thrown them in the deep end a little bit and sink or swim, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm probably more of the nature, more of a cutthroat nature where I think like you sort of get a real sort of test of how good a player is. But then, like you said, at the same time, you get, you get cases where a kid can be really talented and he probably just maybe needs that, I guess, that little bit of nurturing or that, that little bit of ease when you mm. sort of go to bleed them in. And, yeah, the fact that he was going up against, I guess, um, in terms of a, from a matchup perspective, um, Bowden Barrett, uh, yeah, that was that was going to be a very tall task for a guy who had, um, yeah, like you said, never really sniffed super rugby. Mm. But, no, yeah, I, I yeah. guess the, the overarching thing for me, though, was just how impressive that, that four pack was. I mean, I'd sort of sung Marino Makali to ooze praises. He was probably one of the the sole sort of, I guess, good things to come out of the pre-COVID Highlanders. I mean, they obviously weren't doing very well, but him and, and himself, he was actually turning up and, I guess, playing for the 80 minutes. And then as well as that, Putty Putty Parkinson for me, I've, I've got really high hopes for him. I mean, he's a piece of tall timber and like I've said, you can't coach size and I think he does need a little bit more beef on him to maybe make that jump to the test level. But yeah, it's, it's quite... I guess it was quite pleasing to see, even though I had to eat humble pie, the you know, that they've got a core group of young guys maybe to sort of build around and Shannon Frizzell stood up as well. He's sort of been one that's sort of been left wayward from that all blacks discussion because of some of the performances he had off the back of last year and maybe some of the, the opportunities he got in the all blacks he didn't quite take them with both hands. So Yeah, I'm yeah, I, I, yeah I don't yeah. I don't know what to think now because like it's, but it's, it's it's cool in a way, right? Because it, it's a competitive competition, and the last thing we wanted was to, I guess, maybe have the just the Blues and the Crusaders, I guess, winning all the games, um, which isn't mm. the case at the moment. But like now, like going into the weekend, even though I do think that the Crusaders do have an edge, I'm not just going to write the Hollanders off. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, just going back on the on Marino, there he's I'm I know I'm quite personally and him and Putty Putty actually go back a wee while and um, I remember talking to Marino at the gym last year and he was just, he's been with the Highlanders for about three years now and he's got a few games off the bench but hasn't really had an opportunity because you've had the likes of um, Luke Whitelock and you know actually when Gareth Evans was first here and then they had um, a few other, you know you got Lynchies and whoever's it, uh, Dylan Hunt and you know you got all these all black uh, loose forwards, you had uh, What's his name? Uh, yeah, Shannon Frizzell. Then you'd also had Squire. You had, um, you know, who's the other guy? Dixon, yep. Elliot Dixon. Yep. So you know, he had lots and lots of um, experience, I guess, around him for the last three years. So it's um, and he's he's played, you know, he's New Zealand under twenties and that. So this this speaking to him, he's like, you know, I'm just biding my time last year, and then this is his year to shine, you know. So mm. unfortunately, in the first probably. That first Super Rugby thing, the, his other forward counterparts weren't really uh, up to the bar either, so it made it hard for him to stand out. But now that they've stepped up a bit, it's um, yeah, I think he actually outplayed Hoskins to Tutu on the weekend. Yeah, well, well, I guess that's the thing though. Like when you're playing in a winning team, and we've seen it with the likes of the Crusaders and how many of their players probably get picked over maybe someone who is a little bit more talented, but because they're playing in a winning team, it's always easier to look good. And mm. I mean, yeah, like thankfully his his teammates, like you said, have, have stepped up and maybe given him a little bit more limelight. But in saying that, I mean, 
Koskinen to Tutu. I mean, I, I thought it was a really good, really good battle, and I think for probably the I guess seventy five minutes of the game, Hoskins um, was getting outdone by um, was getting outdone by um, Marino. But I guess, I guess we saw at the end there, eh? Like he sort of stepped up and he had that that mall steal, or he held up the ball to. I guess. Yeah, well, there's a few South Islanders down here that think they went through the side. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe like but, uh, we said, hey, you got to play to the whistle, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, that, that, that's a fair shout. But no, like, because I've I've been harping on about it again. Just the, the amount of loose forwards that we've sort of come out have come out of the woodwork this year. I mean, because like you said, like Marino's only really got his opportunity this year to um, to, to nail a starting role. Same with Hoskins. Uh, mm. We've got someone like Cullen Grace, who we'll go on to mention later. Lachlan Boucher, who was arguably mm. like the best player in the comp. And then we've still got two world-class, I guess, sevens and or seven slash eight and Artie Severe and, and Sam Kane. And then again, like Shannon Frizzell, he's almost a bit of an afterthought. And Vi Fafita, he's almost a bit of an afterthought. So, And I think mm. especially that sixth position, it's going to be really interesting to see which way they go with it because... I think for me personally at the moment, like if we're going to go with a Sam Kane, Artie Sevilla, number eight, number seven, or if you're going to play one of those six and seven, you probably need someone with a bit of physical presence. And I think that in terms of, from a from a front-running perspective, I think um, what we saw on Saturday, those two guys, Marino and, and Hoskins, are probably going to be the the ones battling it out. So, But that's just me, you know, like Ian Foster could come up with something totally different. I mean, we don't even know what they're going to do with Richie Moanga and Bodo Barrett, so... And we don't even know if the All Blacks are going to play this year. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's it's all sort of away with it. Um, now, you also mentioned that you have some sort of inkling that one of the the old stars might be in for a start this weekend. Yeah, there's a little rumour. I heard it, but uh, no, I just got confirmation there from my Highlanders mate there before that he's not playing. So, Milner Scudder's not, not in this week. But they got uh, Michael Collins starting at fullback. So... Um, and they've got uh, Nani Poonavai, he'd be on the other wing mm-hmm. so to replace the, uh, the other fella. So the same, did, he, did he get quite badly injured? He's done his MCL. I've seen, seen him at the Turkish yesterday. Oh, okay. He's in his, in his uh, crutches there. Oh. Um, had a wee chat to Joshuani as well. He's still a couple of weeks away. So, yeah. What did you, what did you think yeah. of Mitch Hunt's performance on Saturday night? I thought he looked a bit more short of himself especially going up against a, a quality team. And, like, do you think that yeah. he's done enough over the past couple of weeks and if he sort of backs it up this weekend and maybe the one after that, that Josh might have to go into the bench? Well, it's incredibly hard to be a first five when you're playing behind a pack that's not going forward, really, isn't it? So yeah. Richie Moong is, you know, a prime example. You know, if he's not, if he hasn't got an all-black four pack, which he usually has with the Crusaders or... With the All Blacks, he's um, pretty good, but I bet you if you put him in a pack behind a pack, uh, guys are not dominating week in week out. It's pretty tough, pretty tough. So that's where I feel for Mitch Hunt and maybe Jackson Garden Bashup as well, who's probably had it pretty tough because their forwards haven't been dominating necessarily. So you know you have to kind of work for what you got. And if you're again catching the ball and the bloody flank is already up in your face and you don't have much time to do stuff, whereas this week Mitch Hunt, you know he had. Probably a couple, well, a second longer, and and that's all he needed, really. So, yeah, yeah I, I think 
comes down to the forwards, bro. If the first five's going to play well a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and like we mentioned before, in terms of with uh, Will Jordan's try and just how sort of, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, sort of eat arsey the, the Crusaders are. Because, I mean, I laughed about it with Casey on Saturday. You know, like rugby really is a game of moments. And in that Chiefs-Crusaders game, there were, you know, it was the, the difference between the two teams, well, it was only five points, but it was the two Crusaders tries, which really came from nothing. I mean, McKenzie sort of like overlapped or maybe prematurely jumped. And then Sevu collected it back inside to Will. He gets his try. And then, like we said, off that quick line out. So, um, mm. I, I guess, well, where am I going with this? Uh, so, for, for this weekend, right? So, we haven't really seen the best of the Crusaders. And, I mean, they, they beat a, a pretty under-par hurricane side uh, in their first game back. And I think they, they got away with one on, on the weekend just gone. And... I mean, do you think that we're in for a, for a better performance from the Crusaders this week? I mean, it'll be their first opportunity in you know, spick-span conditions, you know, playing under the roof at Forsyth. And, you know, they've had two weeks under their belt to maybe you know, shake off some of the rust. So, yeah. I, I mean, well, I, I should, it so. should be, it's always going to be a, a big tussle there, old South Island battle between the Crusaders and the, the Highlanders. I think it was only a couple of years ago, Mitch Hunt kicked the winning drop goal for the Crusaders. So, um, that was quite an exciting game. But, um yeah, hopefully my man George Bauer, he'll be in the Crusaders, so we'll, we'll see, uh, there'll be a few cheeky, he's, he'll be coming up against uh, another, because oh, he's part of my club down here in Harbour, so, and we've got C.O. Tompkinson, who's part of our club as well, so they'll be matching up against each other, I'm sure C.O. will throw in the dirty shoulder onto him, but, um, yeah, he's no yeah, stranger to be... that, is he? Oh, C.O. <laughs> yeah, uh, you see him and uh, Rico having a bit of a go on the weekend. Yeah, I like that though. I like that. Yeah, uh, you get, he's he's actually he's been a bit underrated recently you know, over the last couple of years. I'd see him. He's a he's he just needs a bit more time in the saddle, and he he could be quite good. I reckon. Yeah. Well, he can just brings that physical. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago he put a shot on Sam Kane when he played in Ten Cup, went viral on Facebook and everything, and um, he's put a shot on Brody Retallick, and I think he got yellow carded for that though, but. He's he's known to put a few shots on a few good people. Yeah, yeah. I think he's he's probably needed to tidy it up, maybe a little bit, maybe drop the the tackle height. Mm. But yeah, like you said, he is because I think he he was quite a talent coming out of school, right? Was he at Otago Boys and I yeah. think he played like schools and twenties and. Yeah, bro. He was he got golden boot the year we were at school, twenty fourteen. Um, oh wow. Best player for under eighteen. So yeah, he was a, he's a big talent out of school. Just needs time. I reckon the biggest thing for people coming out of school is they need to play a bit of club rugby first, and that was his problem. They the Tiger rugby only didn't play two games of club rugby, and then expected them to play straight a Tiger rugby. So that's what. Yeah. Oh, that's another matter anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I've got to say we could we could definitely jump into that. <laughs> how those unions wrap their their academy boys up in cotton wool. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll leave that for another yarn over another beer. Yeah. But yeah, my, my last point um, for this weekend, or for this weekend's first game, sorry, is that the line-out uh, for the Crusaders was, I guess, improved, albeit in pretty miserable conditions, to, to what they sort of threw out there in that first game where, you know, I thought that the Hurricanes line-out was bad and, you know, the fact that the all-black hooker and uh, former all-black captain Locke and Sam Whitelock and Cody Taylor turned up and the line-out was still scrappy, I was, I was sort of shocked mm. at that and... 
I mean, they've lost. Um, I made a mention to, to young Cullen Grace. He's out. Um, he's had um, surgery, so he's gone for the remainder of that season. And they're already without Scott Barrett, so it looks like they're probably only going to have one jumper. And I say that as in like as, as in a premier jumper, you know, sort of like a, a go-to guy. And uh, the Highlands actually had the most efficient line-out in the competition, surprisingly. Um, I remember, again, going back to the start of the year, they were a bit of a shambles at line-out time without Parkinson or Dixon, but it seems like they've sort of found their groove having their, 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 their two long men in the engine room. So mm. even though it's going to be played on a dry track, I know that both teams look to build or, I guess, set a foundation off a lot of their set-piece, and the fact that they're not going to have their, their main disruptor, the Crusaders, I mean, um, and Cullen Grace not there, do you think that might be a bit of a target area for the Highlanders to maybe not so much keep you know the game sort of too forward oriented? They'll look to sort of play the corners and maybe sort of play from resets. Well, I heard well from a little intel uh, that the Crusaders have never had a try scored against them from a, a five meter drive like a lineout, and if apparently there's a cheeky little wager uh, last year, that I found out that if they didn't let a team score from a line-out drive the whole year, then they'd they get shouted like a massive piss-up or something like that. And they didn't have a they didn't have any team. They couldn't score against the Crusaders from a line-out drive the whole year in 2019 when they won it. So if that's the Highlanders' tactic uh, on Saturday, I'm guessing they're probably the same wages on this year. But, yeah, I wouldn't be... The Crusaders are tough... Tough team to crack through the line out, so I don't know whether they'll have to maybe attack out wide or yeah. I'm sure Tony Brown's got some kind of trick up his sleeve. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that like considering how much success the the Highlanders have had, and I mean we I mean we saw it on Saturday, right? I mean they they turned down the opportunity to draw the game up and back their line out. Now it didn't come off, and like you said, maybe Hoskins the two came in the side. I don't know. I haven't actually gone back and watched the the replay all that thoroughly. But I, I just think they're, they've sort of, I guess, established themselves in that area. And I think that considering mm. that the Crusaders are, are only going to have that one jumper or one jumper that I know of off the top of my head because then they have to, they're going to have to bring someone in to, to cover at six and um, they're playing... Well, they got Dun, who they got? they got Dunshay and yep. um, who's the other fellow? Well, Dunshay, Whitelock, Douglas... Um, and, and I don't know who they're going to be playing at blind side. I'm not sure if Tom Christie's back and they move someone around. So yeah, yeah. But I don't think yeah, any no, of, maybe maybe Dunchay's or maybe Whitelock's. I, I think T- Parkinson. I think he's got to be the tallest out of all of them. Um, oh yeah, Paddy's Paddy's about six foot nine. I think. Yeah, he's huge. So though Sam Sam Whitelock's not far off. He'd be up there. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, that be interesting to see how we go. Paddy Paddy's stood up. He. He had a bit of a shocker um, the first start of the year. I think he uh, got back into the Scarfy life here when he was um, <laughs> when he first got down. But um, no, I haven't seen him out in town in a while, so he must be putting his putting his head down. So yeah, you're better. No, he's, he's going mate. good. You're better. <laughs> hey, I, yeah, no comment. <laughs> you only live once, bro. All right. Um, who are we tipping though? Uh, my heart says the Islanders, but my head says the Crusaders. I go with George Bowers, Crusaders. Yeah, I think if I had to put some money on it, I'd, I'd probably put the Crusaders as well. I go, go twelve and under. Would you do the same? Uh, yeah, twelve and under. Oh, 
You could take a cheeky uh, 13 plus and uh, you might get something there. You might be paying $3 or something. Yeah. I don't know. I think that I just don't. I think I've sort of eaten my words that many times um, the last couple of weeks and the Hollands are going to be at home. I think they would have taken a lot of confidence out of last week's game, even though they did lose. And yeah, yeah. like the. I mean, I'm expecting the Crusaders to, to shake off their rust sooner rather than later. And, you know, sooner could be this weekend. It could be next week. Who knows? Um, yeah. But, yeah. I, guess... I think it's, they're, they're definitely going to target those outside backs. They'll, tar- they'll target Michael Collins and they'll target um, Punavar on the wing. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. But... It, another tactic of mine just off the top of my head, and I know that Sevu Reese. I mean, he, he's an awesome player, don't get me wrong, but I'm quite surprised because he's not the biggest fella. I'm surprised a lot of teams don't target him under under the high ball like we saw last weekend with Gregory and, and, and the young wingers that the Highlanders fielded. I mean, I wouldn't direct any yeah. traffic sort of George Bridges' way. And, I mean, Will Jordan's shown he's he's more than competent under the high ball. But, yeah, uh, yeah, just, just just something to throw out there. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, mm. Tony Brown's a wizard, so he's probably um, already probably looked into that well before I even mm. came up with the idea. But... But yeah, I, I, I just think that there's, there's maybe something to be made there, and I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see which way the, the the Hollanders go, just because of how stacked the Crusaders are across the park. I can't really pinpoint a single area, not even on their bench, bro. Like it's not like you know if someone comes off and then you're having to bring them someone off the pine that there that there's almost a drop off because there just isn't. So. Well, yeah. How yeah, the teams that good, they got David Harvey early on their bench. You know? Yeah. Um, and Luke Romano. Yeah, I mean, I've already I've already cried about how the fact that I think, well, I mean, Havili's a vice captain, so he's going to work his way back into the starting team, and so if that means pushing Will Jordan back to the bench, it's almost just like a joke that someone that good is going to have to be, you know, only playing the last twenty minutes because I, I just think he's, you know, he yeah. he's he's a bolter for the All Blacks, mate. And bro, I was gutted when he didn't sign with the Highlanders because they were so close to signing him for this year. Will Jordan, yeah, um, but he decided to stay. And it's like to be fair, like that Crusaders camp they got up there is like world class. So you know you can't blame them. Yeah, yeah, totally. But at the same time, yeah. like can, you can't really be playing for the All Blacks if you're only playing twenty minutes each game. And it's like, and he can't even fit on the wings because the two starting um, wingers for the All Blacks are Sever Reese and George Bridge. And then you can't even push David Havili into the midfield because Jack Goodhue and Braden Inor are All Blacks. So it's like far out. Like, yeah, he's, he's obviously. Oh, here's, a, here's a side one for you. What do you reckon, Cable Clark? Has he got George Bridges? George Bridges' number? Do you reckon? All Blacks? Nah, I do. I, I wasn't actually that big a fan of George Bridge going into last year. But then, sort of seeing him play in the All Blacks, like, he's just got that nice sort of combination of, I guess. Level headed. Well, yeah, he's, he's almost. He's in that Ben Smith mold. Um, you know, he's got the mm. ability to finish. But you sort of just know that he's never really going to take the wrong option, and yeah. you know, like I, I, I'm not sort of putting all wingers in that category, but um, you know, sometimes there can be a tendency for some of those, I guess, more X factory players that they look to chance their arm a little bit more, and I think that mm. um, George Bridge, you know, like you know that if you, you give him a bit of space on the outside, and you know, and he's got a bit of room to move, he can do some damage. But at the same time, you know, like. When it's on to kick, you know he'll kick rather than you know try and beat his defender just outside of his twenty-two and just little things like that. And and the other thing you have to take into consideration with that is that maybe similar to some of those young younger loose fours that we've mentioned is that you know it's only their first year, and so mm. a lot of teams don't have any game plans for them. Whereas for someone like a George Bridge, who's 
sort of plied his trade the last couple of years at the Crusaders, but he's still shown the ability to score a lot of tries. I don't think you can really take that for granted. So, I mean, yeah, it's cool. And, it, and like you said, I, I look at guys like Hoskins and Marino and Cullen and Caleb, and I'll sing their praises, and they're all great players, but I guess we haven't really seen them in their sophomore, sophomore season where there's the, I guess, the opportunity for that sort of sophomore syndrome where they sort of get a little bit figured out or teams sort of game plan for them or look to negate some of these strengths and then they got to find alternative ways to, I guess, express themselves. So, yeah, but mm. no, he's, um, considering he's just come back from sevens, he's, he's hit the ground running, eh? And he's, yeah, he's yeah. another one that sort of stuck him, stuck up his hand to um, get only, what is a handful of, of all black outside back jerseys. And, I mean, we, we were already loaded before COVID and the fact that, you know, he's he's gone in and, Cause a bit of a dilemma for Ian Foster, so mm. yeah, man. Yeah. Um, but well, second game Sunday afternoon, Chiefs Hurricanes. Uh, two teams who are, uh, it's pretty much do or die. I think whoever loses this weekend is, I think, not. I, I guess you can't say it from a statistical perspective because like there's still half the competition to go. But you know, like I guess from that point, if you drop a game now, you pretty much are reliant on other teams losing. So. Yeah, and um, after last week's game, that made it the fourth match that the Chiefs had dropped to a New Zealand team because they they dropped the game to the Hurricanes in that last game of the pre-COVID Super Rugby when when Geordie Barrett had that penalty on full-time. And then they lost to the Highlanders in the first week, got caught on the hop, and then the following week they lost to the Blues at home, and then they they lost last weekend um, down in Christchurch. So... and. Their losses have come from a combination of different things. I mean, one of the big talking points for them at the start of the year, even when they were winning, was the fact that they would sort of put themselves behind the eight ball at half time, but they showed an ability to sort of finish the game quite strongly and maybe get out of jail. And I mean, we saw that in the first game against the Highlanders. They, the Highlanders poured in three tries and then the Chiefs worked themselves back into the game. And of course, we all know what happened. Damien McKenzie hits the drop goal, but then Bryn goes back and he beats his dad. And so, but that... Essentially, that game was lost after those three early tries. And then the following week, um, and even last week to an extent, you know, they, they just didn't show maybe enough patience when they were in the red zone. They, they just looked to force things maybe a little bit too much and their handling let them down. And then just momentary mm. lapses. So those those two tries that we talked about um, of Will Jordan's on the weekend, which was the difference in that fixture, were just, I guess, two mistakes or just two times where the Chiefs maybe switched off for just a second and they got punished for it. So those will, I guess those will probably be target areas or areas that um, Warren Gatland and co would have been working on this week um, in preparation for the Hurricanes. But um, in saying that, I thought that the Chiefs forwards have looked a lot better the past two weeks. And unfortunately for their backline, they just haven't paid um, in decent enough conditions to really sort of show if they're clicking yet. So... I guess for me, like it's going to be weather dependent again, um, depending on what the the weather is like in, in Hamilton on Sunday. But uh, considering how, I guess, undersized the Hurricanes forwards are or can be, depending on what their lineup is, do you think that this game's going to be won and lost in the forwards, or do you think it's yeah. going to take a full team effort? Oh, you know, with the Canes, obviously they got. Well, it depends what team they go with. I've seen that. You weren't playing against Artie Salvia on the weekend, were you? I no, seen him playing not. club rugby. Unfortunately yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> but he'd be he'd be back starting. I'm saying, but um, yeah, one or lost in the forwards. It really comes down to the top five, I'd say. And the what's his name uh, Blackwell? He he's a trooper. He he goes well. And um, 
I think uh, it's going to be the match, the, uh, match one in the forwards. The Chiefs have been, I've got a mate who was going out with one of the Chiefs and she gives me a bit of intel for me. And uh, <laughs> You know everyone, um, mate, by the sounds of it. Hey, I've got my, got my contacts. Um, but uh, they were saying that uh, Sam Kane wasn't actually supposed to play last week. Um, he only played, uh, well, they were, gonna, they were supposed to give him an extra week, but obviously alarm bells were ringing, or cowbells. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, I don't know. It would be a one or loss in the forwards, bro, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I guess the frustrating thing for me, and I guess the, I think when I did it with Matt, the, when we talked about it, and even with my dad, we talked about how the probably looked at that first game against the, the Highlanders and thought, you know, sort of easy meat considering what we'd seen mm. pre-COVID and they sort of got a got a punch in the face and I guess they, they did recover but they probably left a little bit too much time on the clock mm. for, for Brinny and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that we get, get a dry track so that we make it not so much a forward-orientated game. I know that rugby is a winter sport and traditionally these are the sorts of conditions that you'd see a lot of club rugby players playing in but you know like I'm I guess I'm when you sort of stems down from the All Blacks right you know I just love to watch a good game of running rugby and those those last two weekends so last Sunday's game and, and the previous Saturdays um, as much as I am a code purist you know like there's only so much kicking I can tolerate and you know sort of poor handling in the 22 and maybe just you know when guys are sort of going to go for that resi play it's probably not on because you know, when you're trying to throw an offload to it to a prop, you know they have a hard enough time catching it as it is. Let alone when there's a bit more dew on the ball. So, yeah. yeah um, but in terms of with the with the Hurricanes, though, I mean they they were pipped in the last fifteen against the game against the Crusaders in round two, and I mean, I mean full credit to them because they, they they stuck in they stuck in the game and they only played to what the ref was giving them. And and like you said, Jackson was going all right. You know, he kicked all of his goals, but. The, I guess the, the glaring sort of problem for me with the Canes is that they haven't really shown the ability to I guess, get game line and just breach, you know? I mean, they had the, in the first week, Dane Cole scored his try and then they had that try to Ben Lamb and then Jamie Booth got the consolation try and even last weekend, what did it take them, like 60 minutes before they put a sophomore over in the corner? But, you know, before that, you know, like, there's at no point in that game do you think that, you know, the Canes can sort of make something out of nothing and there's there's no sort of spark there? And so I guess like the question I pose to you, bro, like how how can the Hurricanes this weekend get a few more five pointers on the board, or even just you know put themselves in a position to score tries rather than having to, I guess, settle for penalties, kick a line out, and then maybe win one in in the opposition half, which Jackson can kick. Yeah, man. Well, I think it comes down to the the like I just keep going back to it. It's the forwards, man, especially for the Hurricanes. If they're not dominating, or you know. You're winning your set piece, your line outs. You can't be throwing, you know, Suffer's good, but he's got to get his line out throwing going good when he comes on. Um, you know, Dane Coles has been pretty good, but it's, you know, I think whether it's him or the line out jumpers sometimes, the communication breakdown. Um, when they had Fire for Feeder and um, Blackwell starting at lock, there was a few line outs there that were a bit shocking. And um, just those, those bro, are, are, are game killers, man. If you can't get your set piece right, then. Um, yeah, it, it makes it pretty tough. So um, uh, for for me, it'd be the emphasis has to go back on the forwards. Like they probably are missing a big 
uh, probably like a Patrick Tui Peloto kind of Sam Whitelock player, um, one with a bit of leadership in the in the middle there. Like Blackwell's good, but you know, you, and and Vifafita is not really a lock. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'd say they're probably missing one of them. But yeah, I mean, with Artie coming back, it'd be a good good match up with him and Sam Kane and. Um, Duper C's loving the, the refereeing calls at the moment because he, he would get over the ball and, yeah, and uh, who else they got there? Uh, Brett, uh, what's his name? Evans? Yeah. yeah. Um, probably like to see him start at six. He's a good player, man. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think a big thing for me, and it's, and it's probably a testament to how good Adi Shavir is, like when you look at that Kane's four-pack as it is now, there hasn't really been a lot of turnover and... Obviously, the Hurricanes had Bowden Barrett, who, you know, was obviously a massive boost and showed just how good of a player he is, considering, like like we're seeing now, um, maybe how undersized and um, maybe, I guess, average. Is, is, you know, as as sorry as I am to say that, you know, that's just how the the four packers is playing at the moment. And even though Artie's come back in, you know, like he's not quite. Well, he's not going to be the player he was at the back end of last year because he's still sort of finding his feet. And I mean, like, even though he did play club rugby on the weekend, that doesn't really replicate, um, I guess, turning up and playing against um, full-time professionals. So, yeah, it is a tough one. You, you mentioned just having someone with a bit of extra size in there. And I'm, I mean, I made the point, like you said, I mean, Duplessis and Gareth Evan are class players. But when you look at the, the guys in their positions going around at the moment, they are probably... A little undersized, and then you, you talk about the locks. You, like you said, James Blackwell's a toiler, but yeah, they're not. There's actually, there's actually a big problem with the Hurricanes. Their recruitment setup is not very good at all. I don't remember a recruitment player that they've recruited and and brought through that hasn't been uh, from Wellington. You know, you had Asafo, you got Alex Fidel and that, but they're all homegrown through Wellington, and that they haven't actually recruited anyone. You look at the Crusaders; they've recruited in, they recruit in or out of school. They recruit. Um, who else, you know, um, George Bridge, he's from the North Island, yeah, and, yeah. you know, um, going out looking for it, you know, rather than, yeah, it's good to recruit your local talent and that, but at the same time, once we get into this level, uh, all the Hurricanes fans just want to win, basically, and, you know, it is good to have local talent as well, but when it comes down to it, you, you know, if you haven't got those players and you didn't chase them earlier on, and they're now at the Crusaders or at the Blues or wherever they are, yeah, it's starting to catch up with them, I think. Yeah. And I, and I do yeah. I, I do wonder, like, how much, um, I guess, the, the, the changing of the helm with John Plumtree taking the All Blacks role, how big of an impact that maybe had on the team as a whole and whether or not Jason Holland's maybe gone in a little bit of a different direction because we know that Plumtree sort of has a, a South African coaching background and He's um, quite old school from what I've heard. And then I think on the other hand, I think Jason Holland's a, a bit more of a Tony Brown type. You know, he's a bit more of a wizard. And maybe, you know, like the, the way that they've sort of um, gone about things. And like um, another guy that I got, I'll, I'll get to in a minute, you know, they're missing Geordie Barrett, who, who played a huge role for them um, and was was their best player to me uh, in that pre-COVID Super Rugby um, but yeah, the, the, something's just not quite clicking with the Hurricanes at the moment. And like you said, it, you can sort of see the frustration sort of spilling over with someone like TJ Perinara, who's maybe lost his cool. 
I know that um, mm. Brendan Fraser in the right. first week refused to speak to him, and then even last week, you know, even though he is a chirpy halfback, you know, he just seemed to be, you know, maybe a little uncomposed as to what we'd seen of him, I guess, in, in previous years, because he was typically one of the better guys at talking to the referees. Yeah, no, he he's he keeps losing his head, eh? Like he just needs to chill out a bit on the field. <laughs> like, I don't know. He is like a, he's a live wire, but God, like you're watching it and you're like, come on, TJ, like that was actually a penalty. Like just just walk away. Like you don't have to argue every single call. But yeah, um, yeah, well, what it, yeah, it is what it is. But um, yeah, Jordy Jordy will make a, a a difference. I just hope they don't rely too much on him because that's when he cracks under pressure. You know. Well, he's renowned to. If he's got too much pressure on him, Geordie Barrett, he he's, uh, finds it pretty tough. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm, yeah. Like I'm, I, I had heard talks about that. I, I, I probably wouldn't go that far, but like, like you said, that's the that's the reason why I get different blokes on, bro, because we all have different perspectives. And for me, I think the past couple of years, he was probably in his brother's shadow a bit, and he sort of got mucked around quite a bit. Like they they had him mm-hmm. on the wing at one stage because they weren't sure if that was the best place for him for his all-whack prospects. And then they had him at centre to cover the likes of someone like Vince Arsenal being injured and Matt Proctor being out injured. And he didn't really have a lot of time besides maybe that first season when he first came onto the scene in 2017 and he sort of you know lit the world on fire. Between sort of then and then carrying over to 2018 and 2019, you know, he's, he didn't really, I guess, establish himself in one position or have the time to. And I think that... That, that, that pretty much uh, might have mucked with his game and mucked with his head. Whereas I think this year um, he's he's taken a step up and I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of those guys in the leadership role, even though he is only like 22 or 23. And yeah, like you said, he he, he did play a leading role. I mean, he was the, the team's goal kicker. You know, we saw what he could do with his boot, you know, when he banged that 60-meter penalty over in Argentina and then when he kicked the game winner with the Chiefs. And especially with guys like Jackson and when they were um, playing in the 10 jersey, he just came in and you know he, he stepped in a lot as playing that sort of first receiver role and I think that mm. really sort of helped Jackson and Fletcher sort of find their feet in games you know rather than sort of having to have the weight on their shoulders and having to direct, direct everyone around the park you know they could sort of take the, the next ruck off or the next phase off because they knew Geordie would come in and, and do his thing but yeah, yeah. I, I'm just I'm, I'm just really um, I'm hoping yeah it's an interesting one because we it's an interesting one because uh because with Chase, he's he played mighty ten cup and played second five the whole, and now he's having to play fullback, you know. So he's, mm. he, I guess he's in the same position where he's getting mucked around a little bit on what position he is to play, and then, um, you know, he's player of, wasn't he player of the mighty ten cup? Yeah. And you, they don't even have him in the twenty two. Well, they weren't beforehand. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah I don't know it's and then also like. Um, uh, like Jackson, he's good, but like as as well as your first five, you know, I don't think you should look at, you know, you you, you are first five, so you got it, people are looking to you, so it's hard if you're first five and you're looking for other people, so yeah, um, yeah. Um, it, it, it's a tough role, first five probably the hardest position, but um, yeah, that's why I was. I got a little note there. I was like, yeah, I've heard about a uh, potential rumor of of Lima, uh, he wants to come back to Wellington. Lima Sopoanga. So, what are your what are your thoughts on that, Jordan? Uh, I'm not too sure. Um, like he's obviously a, he's a talented footballer. Wellington College. Yeah, he, he, he did go to Wellington College. He's he's a Wally boy, and I think unfortunately at the time, you know, he he was sort of shooting up that another guy by the name of Bowden Barrett happened to be in the same boat, and 
so he had to sort of take his talents down south and I mean fair game to him I remember like initially when he I think even in like in his super rugby debut he had a shocker and like like as we've seen like maybe on the weekend you know like that can sort of be the make or break of a player when they get their opportunity but he sort of stuck his head down and he became one of the the competition's premier goal kickers and, and game managers. Like many, I mean, he was a game driver when the, the Highlanders won at at the Cates and when they won their Super Rugby final. So, and then I think he went on to to represent the All Blacks this year and just missed out on the World Cup squad. So, I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, like I think if he does make himself available and he does come back home, I think that the Hurricanes. Would you sign him? I think I think you do, just you because um, uh, from what we've seen He's an so far. Well, again, yeah, he is, he is an all-black, but then even from what we've seen so far, I don't think neither Fletcher or Jackson have really made that 10 juicy their own. Mm. And I think, when, like you yeah. said, when you've got the opportunity to, to pick up an all-black, um, I, I think you do it. But even then, you know, Lima's had his troubles over in the UK, so he's hoping that he wouldn't carry that over. But even on that point of the 10s, bro, like, because my dad even mentioned it, that I think the other thing, besides obviously having to fill in and sort of, I guess, step into to Bowden's role, I think that the Hurricanes sort of maybe had to come up with a different game plan because I think a lot of the Hurricanes' attack was based around Bowden and his his ability to, you know, just to break a game open and, and just the, the threat that he posed being a running 10. Whereas now I think that teams know that they can sort of afford to drift off the likes of Jackson and Fletcher because they probably don't back themselves as much as Bowden would with ball in hand. Mm. And I yeah. think that all sort of plays in part to it. You know, you mentioned the forwards, you know, when your forwards aren't going well, you know, it doesn't really make your, your tens life any easier. And I guess that's maybe the, the luxury that um, the likes of TJ Perinara and that Ford pack to an extent maybe fell into and in that they knew that even if they were maybe a little bit behind the eight ball, the fact that they had Bowden at 10, you know, they you could sort of get away with that as a whole and you sort of just needed to give Bowden just enough and he could sort of carry the team home. But, yeah, I, I mean, who's to know what happened? You know, like I, I wrote off the Highlanders and maybe the – the Hurricanes come out this weekend and they spank the Chiefs. I don't know. That's the I guess that's the beauty of this competition at the moment. And mm. fingers crossed that's mm. the case because I am a Hurricanes fan and it's never pleasant watching your, your boys underperform. And yeah, I think that there's a multitude of different things. Like you said, you know, the um, I guess from a talent perspective, you know, they they probably haven't done the job that some of the other franchises have done in terms of picking up and bleeding in um, the next wave of Kiwi talent or Kiwi All Blacks that are on offer and. Um, mm. Yeah, they, they they had a changing a coach of this year that obviously wouldn't have helped. And then even this week, bro, like Carlos Spencer gone midweek, like halfway through a competition. I don't understand that because you're contracted for the whole year, so they have to pay him anyway. So why would you like you'd have to pay him out of his, out of his contract? Yeah, I don't know. So, so they're saying that it's COVID and uh, oh yeah, like we're saving money, but it doesn't make sense because you have to pay him out of his contract. Just like the Warriors paying Stephen Kearney out of his country. Yeah, there, there's obviously <laughs> something deeper there, and like, um, yeah, going yeah. I, and I guess that's that's probably the I guess the problem with with media at the moment. There, there's, there does like, and I've, I've mentioned this before. There just doesn't seem to be this transparency. And we we mentioned like the I mentioned the Jersey thing, and yeah, it might have been a charity thing. But even if there was a bit of a stuff up, like I think the the New Zealand rugby sort of created this culture where you sort of keep it hush hush and. Like, like you said, like there has to be something more to the story. Like I don't think Carlos. I mean, like as a coach or even as a player, do you walk out on your team halfway through a season? Like no, no. you wouldn't do that. And Carlos isn't some coach. You know, he's a former All Black. He knows sort of how integral coaches. And I guess like he, even him and himself, like the, the role that he plays, 
Um, the only thing that I can think of is that maybe there might have been a bit of a falling out between the coaches and he thought that it's best that, you know, he not be around because it's sort of like an elephant in the room. That's the, that's yeah. the only we'll, thing. We'll, that, that's we'll, the only thing we'll find out, bro. We'll, 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 we've got some context. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, um, it, yeah, it's definitely a head scratcher. And like, I guess for me, like again, being a Hurricanes fan, it's just like we're already sort of in a sinking ship, so to speak. And, We've, you know, I guess you've had one of your buddy captains sort of just jump overboard and, and leave everyone. So it's like, what the hell? Yeah. And like, and then they 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 brought up the point of maybe like promoting someone like Corey Jane to step up and do all of that. But like, you, mate, well, there's only like, what? I mean, there's eight weeks left, so that is a lot of time. And he he made the point about his family, bro. So like, I I don't want to, I don't want to sort of laugh no. at this stuff. And you know, like, maybe there is something a little bit deeper that you know we don't need to know about because you know it is none of our business, but. At the same time, bro, it just wasn't a good look, and yeah, yeah, like, like you know, would would they have sacked Carlos Spencer had they you know won their first two games? Yeah. Like, I don't think so. So it's just like there, there has to be something deep to to than me or for me. Sorry. So yes. yeah, and then um oh before we jump into this, bro. So who are you who are you picking for this game? Uh, so it's Canes, oh, Chiefs, Canes at uh, and Hamilton, bro. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm deep down a Hurricanes fan, so I go the Hurricanes. Twelve and under. Twelve and under, yeah. Yeah. Twelve and under. Um, where's Goose and Muscle winning Troy? Muscle shout out there. Ah, oh, see, I'm I'm probably I'm probably like you for, for that last game, bro. I think my heart, my heart saying Hurricanes because I'm Canes through and through, and you, you always bet the boys, but like. I think in my head, I just think the fact that the Chiefs are at home, Sam Kane's back because I I did think he made a, a noticeable difference just just with being on the field, bro. It just seems like um he sort of got it's still a dog, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think like the the fact that the, the Chiefs are at home again, the Hurricanes have had this disruption. Yeah, I think I think if Geordie plays, he should make a heck of a difference. But again, at the same time, like you mentioned, you don't really want to throw too much on him because it is only his first week back, and I think that's maybe like something that the Hurricanes got into in that first game when, you know, like, oh, yeah, Artie's back, you know, Artie's going to save us. And we saw that, you know, like, when you're going up against quality footballers, you know, on a week-in, week-out basis, you know, you, we just can't expect our guys to hit the ground running. And unfortunately, you know, we didn't have the opportunity to, to let him find his feet against maybe like a Sunwolves or, or a Reds. And, you know, we, we're throwing in, well, we threw him into the fire, you know, against a, a top-quality Blues side, so... Yeah, I'm 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 probably going to go the Chiefs, bro. As 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 bitter as that taste coming out of my mouth, I I think the the, the Chiefs get up for this one. I think um, Chiefs get up. Yeah, and I I bet Warren Gatlin as a coach, bro. I mean, like, you, I mean, you made a point here, man. Like, do you want to explain like how oh, you yeah. found out that coaching fact about Warren Gatlin? Yeah, man. So uh, my sources tell me that uh, <laughs> Warren Gatlin he only does, uh, does a coaching session for one hour, no longer. That's including the warm up. So they might do a training three times a week, but the whenever they're going out to do the training, it can no longer be more than an hour. And he does no contact sessions during the week, which I thought was quite interesting. So, you know, obviously it probably worked for him over over there in the UK, but whether that's working, might not be working for him here because, you know, they've had a few injuries and guys are not, you know, they only get an hour, including the warm-up. So, yeah, I don't know. What's, what it's just the way, it's the way, uh, he goes with it. But. So is that just, but is that like just him, like in terms of like the sessions he takes, like like with, if the boys went off with the assistants or whatever, 
or is this sort of like no about full training oh, yeah just all yeah uh, like they they might train you know they might do the gym in the morning or whatever but the actual field session uh, one hour including warm-up no no longer yeah which is quite bizarre yeah that is but, bizarre that's a lot of time to have in your time a lot of time to have in your hands if you're a, a chief player yeah. Well, surely. I, I mean, I mean, like those boys probably go in and do their own little skill blocks. But yeah, that is. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I train for longer than an hour, and I'm I'm, I'm a club battler. So. Well, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, we do about an hour and a half to two hours, club club yeah. level. So yeah, I don't know. But, oh, well, anyway. but again, mate, mate, he um he won a Lions series against Australia, and he drew against the All Blacks. So. He did, but, but he yeah. lost to his son. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're only really as good as your last games, eh? Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One last thing on the old Chiefs. Uh, I'll just say Triple T. I'll, I'll, I'll get yeah, no, no. I, I get you, bro. I get you. Um, he didn't even get on on the weekend. Did you see that? Brad Weaver played the whole game. Yep. Well, uh, it was a close ball game, though, bro. Yeah, but he's played for the All Blacks. I think that... I, I talked to him when he, is, uh, when he was down here in... When he was down in Dunedin, I seen him out and uh, I said to him, I said, why aren't you signing with the Blues? And he's like, no, no, Brad Weber's leaving next year. And then he st- Brad Weber stayed around. <laughs> so I don't know how long he signed that bloody contract for, but yeah, I wouldn't want to be sitting on the bench and, you know, especially when you played for the All Blacks and then not even getting on. Yeah, yeah, I think. Oh, it, uh, feel, for, I, feel for the guy. Yeah, oh, definitely. But yeah, I, I can't say I'm... I'm his biggest, biggest fan. I think like I think initially when he made the All Blacks, he showed a bit of promise because he's um he's quite abrasive and he's 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 got a pretty good pull on him. But um, unfortunately, I think there were just moments where he sort of he sort of has the um, tendency to maybe lose his head a little bit and his, and his option taking can be quite poor. And then yeah, Brad Weber stepped up and obviously took up that that third All Black jersey at the at last year's Super Rugby and what led to him being picked in the World Cup but yeah he's sort of similar he's sort of similar to someone like Mitchell Drummond bro like unfortunately for Mitchell Drummond even though he'd sort of been earmarked as that that third halfback behind TJ and Aaron when Scott Robertson came into the Crusaders fold he liked to Bryn Hall more and mm. you know Bryn Hall's been the starting halfback for the Crusaders but do you remember that when the All Blacks took that extended squad over to Japan a couple of years ago, and Mitchell Drummond actually got that reserve role behind Tetoiro Tohuirangi, and Bryn Hall didn't even get an opportunity, even though he'd been the starting halfback for the Crusaders. And so, that's what I mean, like when you, if you're at that super level and you can't crack down a crack down a role which gets you minutes, you're not really going to be in for a look in for the All Blacks. So, a weird one. Was he not? Up. I thought I thought Bryn was was in there as well. No, nah, well, he, nah, he went over with the squad, but he didn't make the twenty three. So. He, oh, he would have yeah. trained with them and, you know, flown over and probably got all the gear. But, um, yeah, yeah, Mitch Drummond actually got the nod. But yeah. it's weird, right? Because Scott um, Scott Robertson, sorry, prefers Bryn or prefers to start Bryn um, for, for his current Crusaders team or the last three championships. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, mm. different coaches obviously have um, different outlooks on the game and I guess Bryn yeah, works for their yeah. system. But... One of the other points you brought up um, before we jump into some other some other talking points, bro, uh, is that there's no Super Rugby final organised at the moment. Now, I saw on the breakdown last night, 
they mentioned the fact that there's a bit of a gap between the North and South game and the end of Super Rugby and whether or not it would be feasible to get something organised now. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. I mean, like, you, I mean you brought it up to me and, and I mean, you'll probably be able to explain your side more, better than what we've got jotted down here in our notes. But I don't know, I quite en- enjoy, or I, I guess I like, sorry, enjoy is not the word, like similar to that, the Premier League format where instead of having knockout football, you know, the season's more a determined by consistency so in the premier league you know they don't have um, a knockout competition outside of the champions league and like the fa cup and that you play everyone twice and it's the team who's won the most games which again is consistency they go on to be crowned champions rather than you know because you can be the best team in in the competition right up until the finals but then if you drop the ball i guess in a semi-final and i guess in a or in a pressure game you know, all of a sudden that 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 season's written off because you just didn't turn up on the day. So, but I mean, yeah. yeah. What's your take on it? And I think, yeah, probably from that point of view, that you would say, yeah, don't have a final. But from a New Zealand rugby, what they announced, they're seventy-six million dollars in debt. Well, shit. You know, here's one way you can add a couple million. Or, you know, take a couple million off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure in TV rights, people tuning in to watch the Super Rugby final compared to watching the Mighty Ten Cup next week will be completely different. And uh, ticket sales, you have that at Eden Park or wherever it is, and you know, it's a huge revenue. Um, yeah, I don't know, no brainer for me. If you're trying to come up with games and uh, extra games, especially for for revenue uh, for people to watch, um, yeah, yeah, I guess they, they, they probably got to... caught off guard, right? Because this competition was organised initially to not have any fans, and I think they almost wanted to get it over and done with as quickly as possible, but still make it long enough for, for people to enjoy or see it as a as a stable product and now because I guess we've seen like how much people have missed sport and you know the fact that they've, they've got it in behind these crowds especially that first weekend I don't I don't think the Hurricanes and the the Chiefs maybe got quite the number of fans that they would have would to have liked to have had or maybe planned to have had but yeah it, it does seem like a bit of a no-brainer in terms of the the capital that it would draw in but yeah, like you said, I guess because this competition was sort of made on the go and they were probably, you know, sort of rushing things to, to get something over the line and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, like we're, we're in level one, you know, like the week before the competition kicks off and then you can have crowds back. I think just because there's, there's all these moving parts in place and that, yeah, like we said, they'd obviously predetermined the tournament before all this regulation stuff went on because you had, we had no idea as a country like what we were going to be like. And then all of it changed, and now you know people like, like yourself. You're like, yep, you know, let, let's have a final because you know now it's feasible. But then it's like, you know, we obviously don't know the hassle or what all the all the stuff that goes into organising the grounds, and you know, like depending on which team finishes first, and yeah, like mm. I think I think for the time yeah. being, it, it, I don't think that it's gonna happen. Yeah, well, I mean, like it's the same when it comes to Super Rugby. You still don't know three weeks out where the Super Rugby final is going to be usually. So, yeah, it's. I don't know, yeah, I don't know if I quite agree with that point, but yeah, make it happen, New Zealand rugby, make it happen. Yeah, if, you, yeah. if you're listening, yeah, 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 if they're listening, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they are. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the other the other announcement, um, and it was it was good of you to bring up, Bo. Um, I only really caught it today, actually, was the the North and South game. So that's going ahead yeah. on the 29th of August. Yeah, and yeah, that's gonna be goody. Yeah, there there, there are a few. Oh, I remember the last one. Do you remember the last one? Oh, I think I remember watching a video of the last one where there was that was there the punch up? Yeah, Dane Cole. <laughs> yeah, it was like Brody Evans or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Ben May was playing like fucking they all got a big dust up. Yeah, it's bloody good. 
Can't wait for that. Oh. But yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah, a couple of um, things just quickly throw out to you, bro. Um, the the north team's going to be coached by John Plumtree and Scott McLeod, and then the the south or the southern team is going to be coached by Greg Feet and Brad Moore. Um, still yeah. no um, determination of venue. Um, I know there's been talks about sort of pushing it out to the regions to maybe inject a bit of capital um, into. I the... think it got confirmed today. It's at Eden Park. Oh, is it Eden Park? It um, is at Eden Park. Now I understand yes. that because they're obviously trying to get as much money out of it as possible, right? And it's going to be the yeah. novelty of finally having it back. But okay, that's interesting. And then even like from a from the player eligibility point of view, they've determined that it's the it's a player's whoever the said player who gets picked, it's whoever they made their debut for at the Mighty Team Cup level or at the provincial level. So even that's a bit of a talking point in itself because the breakdown again to bring them up, they had Damian McKenzie on the show last night and of course he went to Christ College and he's originally from Gore, but he made his first class debut for the for the Waikato Mulu. So Yeah. yeah. No that that the rules probably should have been what your oh I mean uh, that's probably just a one-off, really. McKenzie, like, there's going to be a lot of guys, you know, look at Joshuani, he came down here, and, you know, for him to go off and play for the North, like, you know, he hasn't played up there since he was at King's, uh, King's College, so, yeah, it goes both ways, really. Um, well, I guess that's the reckon. thing, though, eh? Like, I wonder what the players want, because I know that, you know, or we both know how, how big schoolboy rugby is and how much pride, mm. you know, because these guys are, for the most part, are only pretty young. Um, you know, the, when you get some of the oldies, and but I guess for, for this game, you know, like if we, they want to sort of build it up to be the state of origin type spectacle or um, type series or type game. Um, I think they, uh, yeah, I think they have to get maybe some player input into, into what they want because ultimately those are the guys that are going to be creating the sort of atmosphere around it, and are going to be the ones I guess driving the product and. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure if I quite agree with you in terms of like, I, I know that Josh Iwani obviously based himself down south, but yeah, like, I guess that's the reason why I pay attention to all these to all these different schools and because, you know, we're seeing guys like, you know, Braden Enor, you know, he's he's an Auckland boy, but he's only, you know, obviously he burst onto the scene, but he's only been in Christchurch less than, or he's lived in Christchurch less than what he had would have in Auckland, right? So it'd be interesting to, you know, to get his take on whether or not he sees himself as, as a North Island kid or, you know, as a, I guess, de facto southerner from the time mm. he spent in, in the Crusaders Academy. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Well, maybe it turns into like, you know, this becomes like the new state of origin and it's everyone wants to play it. So they decide to stay like in the mm. South Island or they decide, you know, oh, I want to play for, you know, that's what it is over in NRL, you know, or whatever. Well, kind of, not really, but, um, you know, it might be like, oh, I want to play for the South, like, so I'm going to sign off the Highlanders instead of the Chiefs or whatever. Mm. You know what I mean? Could, if, they, yeah. if, if they uh, really market it and you know, and it really goes well, then I really hope they do turn it into a bit of a state of origin uh, annual fixture and you could play at like Eden Park, Forsyth, Capeton and hopefully this new Christchurch stadium. Yeah. I think, I think just because of the talent that we have on hand, I think it would be stupid if we didn't maybe capitalise on getting a game like this up and running. I mean, because we, we look at, I think, I'm pretty sure State of Origin is the the biggest money maker, maybe outside of maybe some of the stuff they do with the AFL over in Australia and maybe a little bit of cricket. But, yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, it is a weird one because, we, we, I mean, our generation sort of missed the boat on it. 
because I don't know for whatever reason it, it never got organised and I haven't actually talked with enough of the oldies that I know about I guess what their recollection of is of it and you know how much pride I guess maybe some of their their club rugby stalwarts that went on to play higher honours took them playing for the North and the South Island so yeah I mean I, I, I do love the concept and you know I, I'm all for it especially this year you know like there's so much change happening in the world right now and I think that if there's ever a time to sort of throw out some ideas and have a bit of fun with something that this is the year to do it so yeah well I, at least your next point about the cross code game against the kangaroos mm-hmm. like this is what they need to be doing like you're 76 million dollars in debt like, I don't know how you can survive keep going you know like you got to come up with new initiatives and th- this is exactly you know what needs to happen because you know you can't just have the the same old same old year after year um oh yeah all blacks versus wales yeah yeah great but like you know it's kind of like you need to create a massive spectacle it's kind of like conor mcgregor fighting you know everyone's going to tune into that well i'll get bet you everyone's going to tune into the all blacks versus the kangaroos yeah you know yeah do whatever you can to get the revenue back up because it's just like the british irish lions they created the most revenue for new zealand rugby even more than the World Cup, I think. Yeah. And there's only three games. So, you know, you, yeah, we've got to think a bit outside the box. I think. Yeah, I think... I think if you're listening... <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's probably like the... I guess the, as, as torrid a time as, as COVID was for some people, I guess that's the thing that we've, we're obviously seeing now. I think people are sort of starting to think outside the box. And um, I know there's been a lot of talk about there's going to be a lot of disruptions with international rugby and the, I guess the the normal Super Rugby competition because of all of the restrictions on international travel and you know players having to go in and then doing their two week quarantine and then having somewhere to stay or having like a home base before they can go out and play. So that you know there's all these sort of hurdles that guys have to jump through and um and like you said I think that we'd all sort of sort of come to the point where you know Super Rugby you know for the most part all of us were only interested in either of we were only interested in the games where it was two New Zealand teams playing mm. or on the off chance that you know maybe one of the South Africans had been playing well um, before we then get to the finals because I can't remember the, the last time I, I went and watched a game at the stadium or you know went and watched, watched a game anywhere or even taking the, the time to you know watch the Hurricanes when they're going up against like the Sunwolves I'm, I'll probably check in for the first half but the, the the drop off between you know the disparity between New Zealand teams and, and the rest of the world at the moment is just too big, and yeah, yeah, and I, that's I, where I, it comes down to like with well this is a, you know we dive in, into the deeps here but like even Aussie like they've dropped off big time like even when we're like well over the you know they, those guys just need to win a Bleeders Oak Cup to keep it more interesting but Kiwis don't even like they don't even care eh like. No. Like I looked at the Waratahs team they named for this week, and I only know like two names. Like that's like uh, Hooper and yeah, I can't even remember who the other guy was. Like I didn't know any of the other names. Like and you know, and, and that's me. And I you know I love rugby, so yeah. like the yeah. average average Joe's not going to be tuning in. Yeah, exactly. Like so. I think the like you said in terms of with this with cross code tests, you know, like I know that there's been a lot of complaints about oh, you know, this sort of wrecks the integrity of our game. And I know that even, like, the league crowd was talking about how they, the Kangaroos should, should be more worried about evening the playing field with, like, the Kiwis and the Tongans and giving those guys the opportunities. But like you said, at the same time, you know, everyone is short of cash at the moment. And, 
if we can get something like this off the ground and it turns out to be this awesome spectacle because that, that was that's always been the talk right because because of how strong rugby league is over in Australia and because for the most part they get all of the great talent so like similar to here in New Zealand right all of our best rugby talent I mean you look at someone like a a Tini Nanai Saturo who signed with the Warriors at school but then, you know, sort of a bit of a, bit of a U-turn and then got hooked up with the Sevens in the Union. That's sort of what happens over in Australia, you know? Like these kids, they go mm. to private schools and they play schoolboy rugby like a Kalen Ponga, but then he gets pinched mm. to go and play rugby league. And I guess like now we actually get the opportunity to see the best athletes or best rugby athletes that in terms of from both codes go head-to-head. And I'm, I'm all for it, man. I mean, like I'm, I'm obviously not as old school as I guess some of the or for the majority of maybe all black supporters and the traditionalists. So, yeah, yeah. like that, that's yeah. just my that's just my take, bro. And I guess that's your take. Like, I just I just think it'd be, it'd be a cool game. Like, you know, the seeing you know, I would have loved to have seen you know someone like a Greg Inglis go up against a Martin Onu, and obviously those times have passed. But you know, <laughs> but having the opportunity to to do that now, and you know the yeah. fact that you know like we're in a climate where we're having to think outside the box to maybe generate a bit more coin and a bit more interest in our sports because there there has been such a large drop off. And you know now there's this demand for it, so yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, no, yeah. it'd be uh, be bloody interesting. Even if they played sevens, like, mm. yeah, it'd still be interesting. Or they or they Auckland not uh, what do they call it? The nines. Yeah, they play that. That that'd be still a good game. Um, yeah. But yeah, it comes down to the revenue, bro. Like they need to come up with more ideas. Bring back the junior All Blacks. How they used to play in that Pacific Cup. Mm-hmm. They can go over play uh, junior All Blacks. Go play Tonga and. Samoa and that, and get the island nations involved, and people yeah. tune in to watch that. You know, like yeah, get, bring back some of the old stuff, I reckon, and, and come up with some new ideas because they're, they're obviously in a bit of a they're in a bit of a shit hole at the moment. Yeah, I, I just think like, I just think like we said, bro. Like, I think the things have got stale um, over the last mm. couple of years because of the, I guess, the repetitiveness of the schedules, like you said, you know, you'd have the Super Rugby, which you know, the Zealand teams would clean up in, and then we'd have that three test series, which typically the All Blacks would always dominate, and then we'd have the Championship, which the All Blacks would dominate, and then we'd sort of get to the India Tour, and it's only really lately, because of the likes of someone like Eddie Jones, who's been a, um, I guess, a bit of a media figure, and stirred the pot that there was almost a bit of interest in those Northern India Tours, but, you know, like I remember growing up that, you know, there was never really anything riding on a lot of those games, because of just how dominant the All Blacks were, Whereas like now, I think like the fact that we've sort of realised that, and we're looking to you know generate more New Zealand derbies, and you know perhaps have this this crossover with with the league spectacle, and yeah, mm. I think again, like, I just think like of all the time to do it, and you know maybe chance around at something that the time is now, bro. But well, did you hear what I what potentially I heard uh, was going to happen? My ten cup is it's going um, back to amateur, so. Obviously, Super Rugby players will still get paid from the Super contracts, but the whole Mighty Ten Cup's going to be going. Well, part of the there might be the, just the the Tier Two will be going amateur or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but I, I'd say that's I wouldn't say that's more of like a goodwill thing from these union. I think it's because they got no money, bro. So they almost have to make it amateur. Because... Yeah, well, they got no money because it comes from New Zealand rugby. It was all the money mm. they get. Yeah. Um, and they rely on sponsorship, and none of the, no one wants to sponsor the unions unless you, you know, look at it, Otago, for instance. Nobody wants to sponsor them because, well, we just sponsor them, we can just sponsor the Highlanders. Yeah. And you go around there, and, yeah, 
I, I just think I think that the like, but like, if we, if we even like look into it a bit deeper, and I, I don't want to get too far into this because I because I can. Like, yeah. I just think that New Zealand rugby's sort of infrastructure or I guess business model has just been based solely around the All Blacks. Because I mean, if you look mm. for if you look at it for, for the most part, maybe with the exception of the Highlanders, like no, none of the Super Rugby crowds around New Zealand, I reckon break even for the games they hold on the most part. Like, who turns up for a, a Hurricanes? Sunwolves game like that's the stadium would be lucky to get 15,000 if that and so and, but if you think about the the revenue cost in terms of hiring out the stadium the catering the security mm. like mm. yeah there's but well, you know but, yeah. but the fact that the All Blacks do so well and they generate so much money when they have all these tours and when they go overseas and all the sponsorship that they, they bring in because you know everyone wants to be tied in with the All Blacks Super Rugby or the New Zealand Super Rugby franchises have almost sort of been able to live off that whereas like obviously when they got hit by COVID and none of that all back money was coming in but they still had to play all these players you know we've seen them having to slash their staff we've seen coaches and we've seen the players having to sort of freeze their pay packets up until the end of next year bro like there, there has to be some sort of revamp because I, I, I think, think what we're saying is it's, it's not sustainable bro no not at all like, yeah and, and like yeah especially like if you don't win the like oh, it's hit them hard because well, Steve Chu and the uh, Steve Hansen, they all got out at the right time just before COVID and <laughs> lost the World Cup. And the yeah, poor fellow, I don't know what the name of the guy is. He's here, chairman. Yeah, Mark Robinson, CEO now. at the moment. Yeah, bro. He's, yeah, like. He's <laughs> poison chalice, eh? Hey? Oh. Yeah, poor fucker. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. All those old guys, they've been in there for, what, 15 years or 20 years and. Yeah, they leave, right? I don't know. Yeah. Leave when you... If they're already in debt, I don't, that's what I don't get. Like, apparently, they've only been in $10 million debt through COVID, but they're they're in $76 million of debt. So they've left it in the absolute shambolic way. So, and people don't talk about it. The media don't talk about this, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, there might be a little bit from John Kerwin here and there, but I don't know. Some people need to... Get into that New Zealand rugby union because they got they're hiring the two hundred people staff and they're laying off Carlos Spencer. I don't like it. But that, but that's the problem, bro. I, like <laughs> like I've said, and like that's part of the thing I've wanted to do with this podcast. Though, again, like being fortunate to rub shoulders with a with a few of the footy boys is you know just get just be transparent and you know let these guys sort of be characters because I mean, like the mm. the problem with the New Zealand media at the moment is that because of how much of a stranglehold and how much control that the NZRU have over these franchises and these players, there's just no personality, there's no transparency, and like you said, like this, obviously their business model's been ineffective, or um, it's sort of been found out in the wake of a pandemic. And albeit that you know, like this has totally come out of left field, and you can't even really like um, I guess plan for something like this. But like even pre pre COVID, like I think everyone. Um, and their dog knew that there needed to be some sort of change because the the way that things were working at the moment, you know, super rugby interest was dying, even to, to an extent the All Black interest was dying because of the, I guess, the competitiveness of their games. You know, I mean, we haven't lost the Bledders, though, what is it, like 15, 15 odd years or something like that. Um, yeah, don't don't quote me on that, but you, 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 you get what I mean. And mm, Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, it's a... It's, yeah, it's something, yeah. I, I don't know who it comes from, but like, whether there's a, I know there's a player association, but I don't even know who's the head of it. Like, do you know? Mm, oh, Brent, yeah, Brent Impey. So he's the, he's the, I guess he's the, the comms between the NZRU and he represents, I guess, for the most part, all the, the players or whoever the leadership group is. And then they sort of relate their ideas to him. And 
he gets yeah. it on. But I've, but at the same time, bro, you, you can't really bite the hand that feeds you, right? Like, but you but you can't, <laughs> bro. Like at the end of the day, he's like, okay, we'll pay you, Bowden Barrett, a million dollars a year, just to sit there and smile. And like, I'm, this is this isn't me chastising. Um, chastising is probably not the right word. This isn't me having a go at Bowden, but you know, like typically, like when you're employed by someone, you can't really speak out of pocket or you know not toe the party line. And so. Yeah, it's, well, that's why it relies on the media, but the media are all fluffy, you know, aren't they? Well, well they, they are, because well, they are, because if you fall offside with the All Blacks, you know, they don't grant you entry into, you know, an All Black press conference, and they don't get all, you know, maybe someone, I'm not, I'm not going to throw names out there, um, I don't want to be that guy, but you know, like, because a lot of these journos and stuff, they maybe rely on inside sources within the rugby unions and, you know, within these teams, and if they end up saying something that bags them, you know, like these sources aren't going to go back to them or, or feed them the inside info that they need to, to break their stories. So it's this big sort of like chain cycle where like nothing's going to change unless somebody or someone's able to disrupt it. And I'm not saying that I'm going to be that guy, but like oh, that's, that's, that, that, that's like, that, that, that was one of the things that I wanted to start my podcast around, bro, is that there's just like this, lack of knowledge that or you know like no one's you know sort of bucking the trend or asking the hard questions for the most mm. part no and there isn't like, <laughs> and i haven't no they can't bet like i haven't seen them say on the breakdown or any of those rugby shows like he had a bad game like you know nah. like we just talked for however long we talked for him you know quite honestly you know what gregory had a bad game on the weekend like, i'll openly yeah. say that and that you know the next person whoever it is who plays bad on the weekend, you know, we'll say that he played bad or, you know, what his work-ons are and this and that. And it's not, I'm not trying to, like, bag him. I suppose that's the difference between TV and Z. Like, they've got a lot more audience compared to what you might have. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but, no, but I get what you mean, though. And, and I, I, it's funny, like, I've actually talked to, to guys like that, um, albeit on the source, like, like, when I get critical, like, you know, we just talked about, like, Fletcher Smith and, and Jackson Garden Bearship and, the potential of bringing in someone like Lima in to take that 10 jersey. It's like, for the most part, players know when they haven't performed well. And as long as you're mm. doing it in a constructive way, which is what I what I think I do or, or what I'm aiming to do, I think that players can, you know, they can take that on the chin. But I think when guys mm. sort of just go out there and sort of throw out, I guess, sort of bollocks or they don't quite explain their ideas and it's all sort of driven around bias, I think that's where some of the, the murkiness lies. But yeah, bro, like... I. I I've, I've talked to numerous guys and I've and like, you know, just me being, you know, like a, a rugby geek, you know, I'd be like, bro, why did you do that? Why did you do this? And he's like, bro, I don't know. And like, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll genuinely beg them. And like, I'm and like, even after I've said, I've been like, fuck, why have I said that? You know, like, I'm, you know, I'm sort of some, a nobody, but like, as long as like, you know what you're saying and you can, yeah, whatever guess, you're saying um, is what everyone else is thinking. Yeah. And the players know that, bro. Like you, you don't, you don't need, like, it, it's a tough one because you don't need someone else to say that you've played bad, but I guess like, I guess even from a from a player's point of view, I think they, I guess they, you could almost respect someone who's got the, I guess the balls to say that to you mm-hmm. and to your face, or you know, you put your name to a story. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, like, yeah, like you said, like with someone like Scott Gregory, like there might have been a bit of an inkling that you know, like had a tough one, but they didn't really, like we said, and it, it, even I sort of tiptoed around it, bro, but like. He was the sole cause for three of those four tries that the Highlanders conceded on Saturday and was arguably the reason why they, like you said, why Aaron Smith had his hands in his head, um, yeah. or hands on his head, sorry. So it's just, 
But yeah, yeah well, we'll stop rambling. Can up. I? Yeah, anyway, we'll get here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, we can go on about it, man. Man, we've been on for a bloody long time, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and we've covered off a, a multitude of topics. Tom, I hope you've enjoyed um, your time as much as I have, and best of luck for the weekend. I look forward to linking up with you on, on Sunday night to discuss how our games went and whether or not our picks or our predictions have gone our way. I'm, I'm not going to be putting any money on them, but I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah, man, we'll, uh, we'll catch up. It's bloody, bloody good stuff what you're doing here. I appreciate it, bro. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. All right, see you, mate.